Well, do you have your Mother's Day gift for mom yet? How many of you have your Mother's Day gift? Uh, you know, uh, that's one of the big things this time of the year. In fact, if you're in the restaurant business, this is the big day. In fact, I, how many of you are taking mom out to eat after this church service? Okay, that's, that's a big thing. Restaurants across, this is one of the biggest days in the restaurant business. It's also one of the biggest days uh, for people calling home and, you know, kids calling back home. And I'm sure my wife Mary will get the call and... Um, I'm sure also that on the internet, I noticed even as late as last night on the internet, they're still saying it, it might not be too late. It might not be too late, and they're still offering, you know, they can, they can instantly deliver, like a, some bouquets or some roses or whatever it might be. So, so fathers, you're still, you might still be able to cover it. As soon as I'm done, if you rush home, maybe you could still make it by about 3 o'clock this afternoon. But what I really want to do is I really want to rescue you. I want to talk to you this morning about what I believe is the greatest thing, the greatest gift that you as the father of your children can give the mother of your children. The greatest thing that you as a husband. We're talking about the role of the husband and we're going to stay on that series. And we've been talking what we might say theologically. We've been talking about a vertical relationship. Ephesians chapter 5 says that our marriages need to be a reflection of what relationship? Christ's relationship, tell me, with his church. Everybody tell me. We're talking about Christ's relationship with his church. I want us to not think about that as being an ethereal thing. I don't want us to think about that as being something, you know, that we do on Sunday morning. We forget about it all during the week. For the writer of Ephesians, the most practical relationship in the universe for you is the intimacy that you enjoy with God. Caleb Rucker got married last night and uh, over there in Weatherford. And he's a special forces Navy. He's a swick. Caleb grew up in this church. And he came to know Jesus as a young boy, but he wandered away. In fact, I remember when he, he left home and went up to Colorado. And he was a prodigal. I remember praying with Wayne and Bobby, Lord, be with, be with Caleb. Bring him back to yourself. Caleb went out into the special forces uh, in the Navy and had very, very dangerous special forces missions. He shared with me on Friday as we met with some preparation for their wedding they were going to have last night. Caleb said, it took, David, for me to be in a place where if Jesus didn't come through, I wasn't going to make it. He said, that's when I, I really found Jesus. In fact, the Lord used a book that a lot of you have, have read. It's called My Utmost for His Highest. And it's an incredible devotional book that the Lord has powerfully used. But the essence of my utmost for his highest is how daily you need to be enjoying this intimacy with God. You know, a lot of people throughout my life, I've heard talk about intimacy with Jesus. They talk about relationship with Jesus. To be honest with you, I meet very few people who really live intimately with Jesus themselves. So one of the things I want to stress in our church family is that we don't want this to be an ethereal thing, but I want you to challenge me about my closeness with Jesus and listening to Jesus and reading the Gospels, learning about Jesus and thinking about how that applies in everyday life. And one of the things I've been trying to get across to you as husbands and potential husbands, the greatest thing that you need to do in loving a woman is to be connected with Jesus, really connected with Jesus. And have that transform your life. And have him cause you to become a self-sacrificial person. 
Now, the Apostle Paul, which I love about him, we spent all last week talking about how a husband's to model that role of Christ's self-sacrificial love and how Christ is making your bride, getting ready for her eternal relationship with him and how we as husbands are to cooperate with what the Holy Spirit is doing with our wife. And I asked you some hard questions, like you should ask your wife, honey, what are the things I do that help you in your walk with the Lord? What are the things that I do daily that encourage you to keep... Uh, growing in your intimacy with him and to keep obeying with him. And then the hard question, what are some of the things I do, honey, that discourage you, that pull you away from that relationship? Those are very serious questions that we need to get really serious about as a church family. If you turn to Ephesians chapter 5 again, I believe the Apostle Paul has a real practical husband. I think he has an engineering type. I think he might have a construction guy that works. And, and he says, Paul, you know, you know I, I understand that I need to love Christ, but I can't see Christ. And, uh, you know, I'm going to see him someday, and, and that's really what I'm living for. And I do read the Gospels, and I'm really trying to be like Christ. I buy what you're saying about this intimacy with Christ, but I want you to really make it live in my life. I want you to, you know, give me something I can put my teeth into, something I can really understand. And I believe that's what the Apostle Paul does when he comes to verse 28. And I believe this is the greatest gift that the mother of your children wants from every one of you husbands. This is the greatest gift that you can give to her. Look at it in verse 28, Ephesians 5, verse 28. It reads like this. In the same way, the Apostle Paul says, just like I've been talking to you about a man modeling his life after Jesus, in the same way, let me make it live in your daily life. Let me make it fleshed out for you. And he says this, in the same way, as you're living your life, modeling this relationship with Christ towards your wife, in the same way you can express this as husbands ought to love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. Let me read that again. The greatest gift that you can give your wife is the fulfillment, really the fulfillment of those words. Husbands, I want you, you ought to love your wives. Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. The Apostle Paul is picking up on the heartbeat of the instructions to us in the Old Testament, which is in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. In the midst of all those sacrificial laws and everything, the verse that goes like this, love your neighbor as you love yourself. We teach our kids that from the time we're small. The essence of God's revelation to us is that all of ethics, all of the way that we live, needs to flow from, I love my neighbor as I love myself. And what the Apostle Paul is saying, when you're married to a woman, Leviticus 19.18 needs to become the passion of your life. And what he's saying is to, to me as a husband, he says, David, you're to love Mary, because he's very specific. He doesn't say that I need to love all women like I love myself. He talks about a very concrete, very specific relationship. David, he says, when you were 20 years old, you made a holy covenant promise to Mary. And you entered into a relationship with her and, and you made promises to her. And ever since that day, you are to love her. And he uses the word agape. You are to self-sacrifice yourself for her. This is the word that's not just a feeling love, not just an emotional love, as good as that might be, but this is the strong love. It's the love of the will. And he says, David, every moment of every day and every moment of every night, you're to never forget that you are to love Mary 
just like you love yourself. Now, I want to talk to you about that verse. You live in a society that talks to you a great deal about loving yourself. We built a whole psychological industry. In fact, this is a very modern thing, the idea that you don't love yourself. In fact, it's some evidence of how bad things have gotten. Because we become so depraved inside that there really are people that hurt themselves. And there are those that don't feed themselves. And I want to, I'm, going to be, I'm going to be talking about that this morning, especially young women. But young men as well. And, and Mary and I, we minister to people. We live in a culture where young men and women actually don't feed themselves. And they disappear before our eyes. They don't love themselves, and usually it's because they've been hurt. Sin from other people has attacked them, sometimes early in childhood, and they develop this very dark, ugly picture of themselves. These are really dark times. In fact, if you're a school teacher, one of the major things that you try to emphasize is, is that you're worth something and you're valuable, and those things are all true. But the Apostle Paul in this passage assumes that you all do love yourself. That you all eat regularly. How many of you eat regular meals? Everyone that eats regular meals, raise your hand. How many of you, when you're tired, say, I'm going to bed? Dave Lowry, when it's 9 o'clock, I'm going to bed. How many of you, when you're tired, you go to bed? How many of you, when you have a headache, say, oh, no, I got a headache, and you take an aspirin? How many of you start running fevers? You go to the doctor, okay? So even what I want you to share is that's the way the Apostle Paul is saying it. says, as I speak to you as an audience this morning... No, most of you normally love yourself okay. You take pretty good care of yourself. Now, here's what the Apostle Paul is saying. You need to learn to take all those natural things that you do for yourselves. And as a husband, you need to include your wife in that circle. And you do those things that you naturally do for yourself. You do those things for your wife. You love her just like she's part of your body. Husband, what your wife wants from you more than anything else is to know that every moment of every day that you're connected, that she is connected with you. I talked to a young couple in marital counseling, and they were talking to me about it. They go to a party, and the husband disappears. And, or they'll be walking down a street, and the husband suddenly, or like they'll be in a store. This is the really concrete, they'll be in a store. And the young wife is a beautiful woman, and suddenly her husband's gone. He's out looking at the fishing gear or something. And some guy comes up and makes passes at her. And, and his idea is, well, that's really cool, you're beautiful, and some other men, you know, like. And she's trying to get across to him, but I don't like that. I feel unprotected. I feel separated from you. And his idea was, well, you need to learn to take care of yourself. Men, that's not the way it works. When a woman loves you, she doesn't want you to disconnect from her. She wants you to connect with her always. And you do that in a million different ways. I've joked with you often. Like, my idea of going for a walk is I go for a walk and Mary comes behind me. Because I was trained in New York, and I tell her, I've got really nice excuses. Well, I'll, I'll capture the, the Indians that attack us. I'll be out front, and I'll protect us. Mary doesn't buy that. She wants to walk side by side. That's why Eve was taken from Adam's side. 
so that they could be connected. Paul is going to build on this Genesis story. Then they conclude this passage with Genesis 2, where God actually took a woman from a man's side. Men, your wife is part of your body. She was taken from your side. All of us as men, we think of union sexually. And we think about that first. You ask a bunch of teenage guys, what do you think about on your wedding, your wedding night? And you ask a girl that, she's talking about the dress, the bridesmaids, colors, the flowers. She's talking about, you know, the food for the reception. You ask any guy, he says, man, what's going to happen after all that's over? It's not the way a woman thinks. She thinks totally different. She wants to be one with you in the way that you think, the way you feel, the way you decide. And then she makes love from that security. The Apostle Paul knows that. Husbands, the greatest gift you can give your wife is to realize that she is to be loved just like you love yourself, even as part of your own body. Now, let me connect it with what we've learned the last few weeks. Christ is connected with his body. Jesus is always connected with every one of you. The moment some of our little kids in Promised Land received Christ when they were five years of age, you've seen some of them baptized. Don't you ever poo-poo that. Don't you ever say, sure, some of them won't know what it means. But we believe the Holy Spirit loves people, don't we? We believe he loves children. He says, suffer little children, come to me. We believe that Jesus is aggressive. When Caleb was wandering away from the Lord and being a tough Navy Special Forces guy and, and wondering whether he'd even be in this Jesus thing, Jesus is after him because love comes after you. And we believe that. And when Jesus comes after somebody and then enters their heart, he's constantly connected with them. They might not be connected with him, but he's connected with them. And the Apostle Paul is saying that Christ is the head, we're the body, and he's always connecting with us. Now he's saying as a husband, David, that's the way you're to live with Mary. And he starts out saying, Dave, you know how you love yourself. You know how you take care of yourself. Now express all that in tangible ways. Mary should be able to go, what are some ways that David expresses love for me like he loves himself? And Paul talks about two basic things we need to do. Look at the next verse. He says, after all, no one ever hated his own flesh after his own body. And in this context, Paul uses flesh and body interchangeably. After all, no one ever hated his own body. I want to stress to you again. In the first century church, I could assume no one ever, Paul speaking generally, the norm of life is people don't hate their own body. Some of you do hate your own body. Some of you have allowed guilt. Sometimes it's, it's false guilt. And it's causing you to feel like you're dark and you're evil and you reject yourself deep inside. And I, want, I would pray this morning, one of the things that would happen this morning is that the Lord Jesus would talk to you, and I can't do this, but I would pray that the Holy Spirit would talk to you and say, you know, I love you as my little girl. I love your body. I love your hair. I love the shape of your body. I love the way you're maturing. Some of you that are young girls, same thing with young guys. I pray that some of you ladies, that deep in your heart, you live in a culture that puts all the stress. It says you need to look like a certain little stereotype that only about 0.9%, not even that much, 0.001% of the world looks like that. And if all of you look like that, life would be really, really boring. If you go to any airport 
and look at the mass of people, everyone is totally different. Different shapes, different weights, different color hair, you know, all different complexions. Everything's different because that's what our Father believes is beautiful. And I would pray that the Holy Spirit would come upon you that, and you realize that Jesus is telling you, I love your body. I also want to warn you, in a church family like ours, very quickly there develops a hate for the body. And what I mean by that is you feel that it's really spiritual if you do things that your body's not involved in. As a Bible church, you're into, we're into our heads. We like the whole thing inside. And one of the things the Bible does is it connects what you have in your head with what you do with your hands and with your feet. We often talk about that in worship. Don't deny that. You say, Dave, why are you starting this? Because very early, right away in the second century, even after Paul wrote this, the early church decided sex is a bad thing. Just like that. They decided if you really want to be holy, when husbands and wives live together, they live together like brothers and sisters, but they don't ever make love. If you really want to be holy, then that's what you do. Right away, they rejected a normal expression of the body. Another thing that happens in religious is that you decide that you're going to only eat certain kinds of food and very strict, rigid diets. Have you noticed that our society is filled with that today? As a society, we, what happens is we start to feel food is evil. Nourishment is evil. Certain kinds of food are evil. And then we have very rigid rules. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, this has been going on for hundreds upon hundreds of years. And it's not what Judas is calling you to. I'm not talking about eating bad things. I'm not talking about eating poison. But I'm saying if you're so focused on food and you're so focused on your body and you're just, and you're just you know, that's what you think about day in and day out. Jesus is saying, back off a little bit. Relax. Your body's okay. I'm going to give you eternal body someday. And the Apostle Paul in Ephesians could just say, well, you know, nobody, nobody stops eating. Paul could assume that, but I can't assume that. The Apostle Paul says nobody, you know, just hurts their body. Paul could assume that they don't, but I can't this morning. So I want us to, to see the healthiness of appreciating our bodies, enjoying the good creation that God has given to us, letting the Holy Spirit control our desires and helping us to be the weight we're supposed to be and to do the exercise we're supposed to do. And all those things flow from really receiving Jesus' love for the body. But the Apostle Paul says, now that you as husbands know that that's true, you're to do two basic things for your wife. And this, is, this fleshes out what it means for Mary to be one with me. It says this. It says that after all, it's no one ever hates his body, but he feeds and he cares for it just as Christ does the church. How many of you are taking your wife out or the mother of your children out for a meal. Everyone is taking their wife out, some, or you're going to eat together later on today. Everybody raise their hand. When everybody is saying, that is a great thing. Everybody say that. That is a great thing. Wives, I want you to say, that is a great thing. Women, ladies, that is a great thing. Nourishment is really, really important. Now, this is not just physical nourishment, but it's also spiritual nourishment and emotional nourishment. One of the really cool things is we won't abuse food if we receive it as a gift. If we receive Jesus' gift to us, then we stop making it divine. We stop making it a goddess that we worship and we adore, and then we're in this love-hate relationship. We binge and we purge. We binge and we purge. That's always what false gods do. 
The real Jesus sets you free from that. And he says to the husband, he says, David, one of the number one responsibilities is I'm responsible to make sure that Mary is well fed physically. In the ancient world, when you married a woman, you promised you would feed her, you would give her clothes, and you would promise to make love with her. In fact, if you were Jewish, Maimonides told you, as a Bible teacher, I get off. Because studying the Torah is really, really hard. And so I, under Jewish law, would only have to make love with Mary once a week. But if I was a nobleman that didn't have to work very hard, and I had a job where I could sit at home just kind of, you know, looking over things every single day. This is right in Jewish law, many years after the time of Jesus. But to show you how seriously they were about this, if you were a workman... Three times a week. Now, don't take this as the gospel. This is not the gospel. <laughs> but I want to share you the seriousness by which other cultures have taken the responsibilities. And, in, and I'm trying to get across, because in this passage, it doesn't divorce sexual needs and physical needs and emotional needs. It, it views those as all being together in the glorious freedom of the children of God. What it says is this. I, you should be able to ask Mary. Dave, Mary, Dave preaches to a Sunday morning. So you can do this. You say, Mary, what are the ways that David nourishes you? What are the ways that she, he feeds you? What are the ways that he doesn't? And then I need to be convicted about that. I am very serious about this. As a church family over the next few weeks, I want us to get really serious. See, we can't just talk about this. We need to do it. And so that means my relationship is open and so is yours. And I'm not talking about being evil to one another. But if you see me not nourishing Mary, acting distant from her like she's not part of me, then you need to get on me. Because that's what makes pastors ruin their relationships. That's what makes kids grow up in pastors' family and hate Jesus. Because things get messed up and I want us to hold each other accountable. The second word is the word to cherish. And this is even more important than the word nourish. A woman can go a long time without food. She can't go very long without cherishing. When Mary and I were recording, uh, Karen Carpenter was singing a song. By the way, Karen Carpenter died because she didn't nourish her body. And she had a voice like heaven. And she sang, cherish is... Well, it wasn't really... I'm getting all confused here. I switched gears. That was another song Mary and I like. I'm thinking of the association... <laughs> Cherish, how many of you have heard this song? Cherish is the word I use to describe. All of you will date yourselves. And that was the word. They, where did that come from? When we're courting and you're in love, cherish is the word I use to describe. Every feeling that I have for you, deep inside, all that flows out. Well, now it's almost 35 years into our marriage. Do I still cherish Mary like that? The literal meaning of this word is to keep somebody warm. Husband, the greatest gift you can give your wife is to keep her warm. And you keep her warm by not distancing yourself from her. I work with a young couple. I can tell in about five minutes where they're at. If they walk into my study, I have a couch in my study. If they walk in my study and the husband sits here like this. And then the wife sits over here, you know, like this. We got bad problems. Because he's not keeping her warm. If they get close together, and I just noticed while we're talking, you know, when, when they're talking, he puts his hand on her leg. 
Now, other men shouldn't put their hand on her leg. I'm serious. Other men shouldn't be anywhere near her leg, but her, but her husband should be there. When you're in church, you know, you, you watch husband. When we went to while, the husband puts his arm around his wife. He's keeping her warm. Keeping her warm. You're at a party. You split your back and forth, and the husband comes back over, and he touches his wife's arm. What he's sharing with her, honey, I'm remembering. I'm connected. Guys, if you have wandering eyes, if you're not a one-woman man, you're not connected, and you're making your wife cold. You're making her threatened. You're making her scared. You're also making her wide open to every other man around. That's how affairs happen many times. Lots of other reasons, but that's one of the major ones. So you learn all these dynamics of how you keep her warm. But you don't just keep her warm physically. You've got to keep her warm emotionally. You've got to be feeding her gifts, feeding her abilities, challenging her about her relationship with the Lord and how she's living that out. You're affectionate with her. A woman responds with affection. Every seducer knows how to make a woman feel like a million dollars and they're affectionate and they communicate it and they bless her. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 31, it says the, the husband, at the end of the chapter, this A to Z woman, at the end of the chapter, the husband stands up. He's a, he's a ruler in the gate. He says, you know, honey, he says, man, we've got beautiful daughters and they're young and they're beautiful and they've done excellently. And I can see the wife kind of sitting there going, man, where's he going with this? And all of a sudden, it's like he hugs his wife. He says, but honey, he looks at her right in the eye and he hugs her. It's like he says, honey, but I want you to know. And this guy had been married to her a long time. He says, honey, I want you to know you excel them all. Ace and Billy joined the church last week, and I've known them for many years. One of the greatest examples, and I'm going to use this in illustration, because guys, you that are old, that you older guys, I want you to feel the influence you have on younger guys. I work construction for Ace. I used, after work, and I'd have dirty jeans, that Ace can tell you, I'd be covered with limestone, and I'd, he, I'd go to their house and eat with the guy that I was working with, Rick. And never forget going in. Here's Ace, he's this burly A&M guy. We'd eat a meal, at the end of the meal, he'd put on this frilly, feminine, you know, one of those aprons, that even the aprons you tied around your neck. And he'd go in and he, he would wash the dishes with, with Billy. And I remember him saying, man, we need to get done quick because then I've got her all to myself and she can love on me. And man, we need to be sure to get these dishes. And he's just like an enthusiastic, you know, yell leader. And I remember listening to that, you know, as a young seminary guy going, man, this guy's out of his tree, you know, good night, that's nuts. You know what Asa was doing? Keeping her warm. And that was more than 30 years ago, even before we started Melothian Bible Church. And Asa and Billy are still together. Many grandkids, great-grandkids. And Asa was an older believer, a little bit older than me. Not a lot, but a little bit. And he was showing me really strong men cherish their wives, and they express it. They get it out. The greatest gift, guys, you can give your wife and the mother of your children today is she's one with you, and she is nourished and kept warm by you. You can ask yourself, what are some ways that I feed my wife physically, spiritually, emotionally? What are some ways that I'm starving my wife? Like in my own life, what it means. My wife is an artist. She's also an administrator. Weird combination. On one side of her brain, she's A plus B equals C, plenty everything else. On another side of her mind... It's very important for her to be able to use her hands and do beautiful Western art and beautiful art, beautiful landscapes. And I can't paint anything. So it's not even in my ballpark. But one of the things I need to do when she needs to go away for a week to do a painting conference 
I can't say, honey, we got this and this and this and this to do. As a husband, I need to nourish that gift. That's a holy gift. The Lord gifted me to speak and to teach, and that's what I do. I'm a mouth in the body of Christ. And Mary has to bless that. That's not her gift. But she has that gift with her hands and with painting. Just last night, she said to me, man, I've got to, I want to do this picture. As a husband, I can say, oh, it's so impractical. It's so not. You know, honey, on the other side of your brain, you're so with it. Everything makes sense, and it, it really goes, this is so impractical. That's not cherishing her. And that's what destroys people. That's ultimately also what makes people split. Because when you're not have someone that's building you up and nourishing you and causing you to be able to express your giftedness, the human personality wants to express itself. And I'm not saying that a wife should leave, but it creates very strong reasons that I got to get away because I'm being destroyed. And husbands, you don't need to do that. You can live with the woman. And one of the, one of the keys in this relationship is you see zero to 180. I often, I talk to, to, to young couples before they get married, and Tim does it well, all of us that are working with young couples. We talk to couples about men see zero to 180, women see 180 to 360. You've got to learn, you've got to learn to enter into those other parts of the circle. And that's what it means to be one flesh. I want to close. Ladies, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this on Mother's Day, but ladies, there's only one thing the Apostle Paul says to you in this passage. And they're fighting words in our culture. This passage began with submit yourselves to one another in reverence to the Lord. And I want to begin there. You know what's missing in our culture? No one reverences anything anymore. We don't, we don't reverence the presidency. He's a jerk. He's an idiot. We should kill him. You ever, how many of you have heard that about President Bush this past week? Now, you have every right in a political system. You can vote any way you want to. That's the freedom, and it should be a cherish. You should reverence that freedom. But in our culture, if you're a student in school, teacher's a bum. Teacher's an idiot. I was just in the New York school system. Mary and I were just exposed. There's a school system in New York. There's 7,000 kids there in the high school. They actually have intercourse in the hallway. The whole school is like a jungle. The kids run the jungle. 7,000 teenagers. See, we think it's bad in Midlothian. Cocaine everywhere. You know why? No reverence, no fear. You live in a society where every one of you say, if you're a lady in this room, you say, I'm going to be me. I'm going to do what I want to do. And that's going to be the meaning of my life. If you're a man in this room, you say, I'm going to be me. One thing that we've forgotten is structure. And even evangelicals, there's... Powerful debates saying there's egalitarian marriage. And what they mean by that is no one's the leader in the marriage. It just jockeys back and forth. Sometimes Mary leads, sometimes I lead. No one, you know, we just go back and forth depending upon giftedness. We're just totally egalitarian. It's very modern. Very American and European. But as I've been studying this passage, and I want to be really honest with you, if I felt from the bottom of my heart, if I felt the word of God said that this, this mutual submission meant that there's no leadership. I promise you, I would teach you that. From the depths of my heart, because our church depends upon it, we have got to rediscover what it means to be in roles of authority and responsibility and submission. The Apostle Paul said in this passage, Lady, what your husband needs from you, I've shared with you what I've been, I, I spent all the message talking about what you need. 
And I'm going to share as we close, ladies, what a man needs, that a man that loves you, what he needs from you more than anything else. In fact, I'll share with you just in a different context. What I need from you more than anything else is I need when I teach you God's word, not my authority, but when I teach you under the inspired word of God, I need you to obey it. Do you understand that? When I teach you under the inspired word of God, you can question me. If it's not biblical, I will get up the next Sunday morning and correct it. But when I teach you from the word of God, as a, as a pastor teacher this morning, it's not David. It's the role of a pastor teacher. And the scripture says that we need to be obedient to what we learn from the word of God from those that are elders in our family, ordained by the Spirit to teach us. Does that make sense? Now, in my home, not because I'm better than Mary, not because I'm more skilled than Mary, but because my heavenly daddy said in the structure of the family, this is the way I want it to be. He says, David, I want you to be the Christ-like head. And yes, head does mean leadership. It means in the whole book of Ephesians, it has to do with Christ being the head of the whole world, the Lord of the whole world. You have a New Testament where a wife will even say to her husband, honey, you're my Lord. And she's not saying you're my God, but she's saying I respect you. I reverence you. I, don't, I, I know you're an idiot at times, but I want you to know because I'm in love with Jesus, I reverence I reverence the position you hold in this home. Now, you don't even get that. Our society is so far away from this. The closest I can get to that is Mary and I are driving back from way out in Weatherford. I'm blatting on the highway, going too fast. There was a car with special lights on the top, three cars ahead of me. And suddenly I rediscovered reverence and submission. And I also noticed that almost everybody around me discovered it as well. I'm going to close with what I think is a much better illustration. It's pilots. We have a lot of pilots in our church, so I'm using it as an example. You know, in, in aviation, there's a pilot and there's a co-pilot. If you fly Southwest Airlines and you guys, the pilots can correct me, but I, I think I'm right about this. In fact, we're even moving more towards this. Like if you fly, if you go with United or American Airlines, there's a pilot and a co-pilot. I want you to know that they're both equally skilled pilots many times, okay? They're both totally rated to fly, say, a 737, okay? You're totally safe with either one of them. It has nothing to do with their equality and their worth. You understand? It has nothing to do with today. It has nothing to do with whether they're male and female. But in them, when you're flying 737s, there's a pilot that's a captain. There's a co-pilot. The co-pilot has every right to say, Kansas City Center is not 123.62, but 121.59. Did you get that, Captain? The captain are going, don't shut up! Don't you butt in me! I'm the captain here. Captain will never do that. If he does, he's not going to fly long for the airlines. The co-pilot will say, sir, or miss, Mrs., Ms., if it's a female captain, so it has not, not, we're not talking about that sexist here, so get off that for a second. The co-captain will say, the co-pilot will say, did you hear the controls say that they put that Cessna in the pattern ahead of us and we're closing fast? 
Did you, did you get that? And the captain go, mm-hmm. And the captain doesn't get mad. He doesn't feel threatened. In fact, in aviation, a captain will say, four eyes are better than two. Four legs are better than two. Two minds are a million times better. When Mary and I were driving home from, you know, to Weatherford and back, I'll use it in the car. Mary's talking on the phone to her mom. She's pointing. We got to turn there. I go, would you just stop that? I can handle this car just fine. And I forget all about my illustration. She said, do you know that we need to turn at the next thing? Now, the reason, honey, the reason, men, that your honey does that is because the Lord has built her to be concerned about safety and concerned about health of bodies and to make sure you don't end up mangled pieces twisted in between metal. So everything within her is saying, I need to help out here. She's your ally. For 34 plus years of my marriage, I'm threatened in the car. Because from the time I was a little kid, I drove a goat cart right into the wall of a garage. As a little bitty kid. And I got the label, you are mechanically threatened. When I came to Midlothian Bible Church, I had no idea what was inside an, uh, an engine. Or a motor. I didn't even know the difference. Electric motors, gasoline engines. I didn't even know the difference. But I want you to know, now I do... But I got this label, a little kid. So when I'm driving a car, I'm a little bit insecure about it. So for 35 years in our marriage, Mary's helping me out. And we, I've told you, we have fights about it. You know, I, I even stop the car, let her drive. Sometimes that's good because I'm tired. <laughs> but you know what the Lord is saying? The Lord is saying to Mary, he says, you know, Mary, you're the co-pilot. Let's suppose we're flying. I want to share something that a co-pilot doesn't do. And I've been in this situation. I've been flying. And because I don't have my license yet, the person that's in the airplane with me, that's my instructor, is always the pilot in control. They're the captain, okay? We're coming in for a landing. Done it lots of times. Gust of wind hits us. We're up on our head, going sideways, flying off the runway. My captain will say, I got it. That's all they say. Right now, it's a woman that says it to me, okay? I got it. Men, I don't say, no, you don't. I got it. When, that, when the captain says, I got it, the person that's the co-pilot says, they take their hands off, take their feet off the, the, uh, you know, the rudders, they got it. When a captain, remember I told you about 737, both equally trained, both equal responsibility, sharing the thing. When the captain says, I got it, he got it. Ladies, the greatest gift that you can give to your wife is that 1% as you decide all of your decisions, there comes a time when he's prayed and you've talked and he says, honey, I got it. And ladies, you've got to let go and respect him. If you don't, you're going to be a mom and never be a wife. You'll take care of little boys, and you'll not only have your little physical children in your family, but you'll have a man that's supposed to be your husband. He'll be a little boy, too. When he yelled, and men, when you yell, I've got it, and the captain doesn't really yell at it. He just says quietly, my flight instructors don't ever yell at me. They just say, I got it. And it's like a state trooper, quiet, controlled, but I let them have it. Because they have the responsibility. If we crash, 
It's their responsibility. And why is the hardest role for you? Because no one wants to do it today. The hardest role for you in the home is when your husband says, Honey, I'll take my role as captain. I don't understand why Jesus made me the head of this family. Brother, this is your, I don't know why Jesus made me a leader in this church. But we are killing our leaders. The truth of the matter is, there's men in this church family that should be leaders. They're not going to do it. You know why? Because nobody wants to be a leader these days. I'm going to tell you why. Because nobody respects leaders. Nobody honors leaders. No one reverences leaders. And on this Mother's Day, the Apostle Paul, 2,000 years ago, said, Ladies, the man that loves you more than anything else in the world, what he needs in the depth of his soul is for you to respect him, to reverence him. If he asks you to do something totally contrary to Jesus, you reverence Jesus, and you have to lovingly and submissively disobey. You understand that I'm not talking about that extreme. But in the flow of everyday life, there's an order and structure in the individual family. And men, if you leave this room right now, and you tell your wife, did you hear what Dave said? I'm going to strangle you. Because that's not what I'm saying. In this passage, the Lord said, Men, you got to love her like part of your body. you got to nourish and cherish her. This is the reason we leave our fathers and mothers and cling to our wife, that we can become one flesh. That's our job, men. And Paul closes the passage. Now let me summarize everything Paul says. Remember, men, love your wife. Give her the gift that you're always connected with her. And then he says, remember, wives, reverence, respect, recognize his Christ-given authority in your home. If you do, you'll raise little children that will obey. That's where it begins. You'll raise little children that will go to school, and they'll know how to obey there. And eventually, by the grace of God, maybe the lights could come on all over the land, and maybe even in... Washington Heights, New York, even public high schools could be transformed by the power of Jesus to help us to capture the beauty of proper rules, proper authority. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us to get beyond the battle of the sexes. I'd ask you for ladies that have been abused by male authority and everything within them cries against what I've taught today, I want to ask you, Lord, that they will realize that I'm not telling them that an abusive male was someone that you honored. Help them to realize that that male was a, was a man that you will judge, that you will deal with. And that's not at all what I'm talking about. But, Lord, I want to get beyond all this reaction to individual situations. And I want us to open our heart to the power of Jesus to help us as husbands to have Christ's love burning through every cell in our body, to help self-sacrifice and nourishing and cherishing. I want to ask you, Lord, that our church family will become a model for this whole area, for what it means for men to treat women as sisters in Christ. And when we fall in love with that special one, to treat a wife just like she's the queen of heaven. I'd also pray, Lord Jesus, that we would raise up young women that will feel fully equal, totally valued by you, 
but help them to understand the roles that you have for them to play. Not abusive roles, not roles that destroy their gifts, but really authority structures that make it possible for all of us as husbands and wives and brothers and sisters in Christ to be able to freely express all the giftedness that we have. And we need your Holy Spirit, Heavenly Father, to guide us in this on this Mother's Day. What I've shared today can be misapplied, misunderstood in a million different ways. And so my Heavenly Daddy is the ultimate authority in our church family. I want to ask you that you would take Ephesians 5 and I would ask you that you would apply it to each individual heart. I want to ask your Holy Spirit to take what I've shared about a one-flesh lover about a nourishing and cherishing husband and what I've shared about a wife that reverences and respects her husband. I want to ask you, Lord, that you, by your spirit, will direct your children in how to really live that out in their relationships. And I pray that we would see a wind of the spirit that's helping us to live out this beautiful heavenly design, this heavenly pattern that really fleshes it out and helping our families to be filled with love, filled with obedience, filled with joy and happiness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.